morning, Four Oaks. I want to welcome you to those of you, all of you who are joining us online. My name is Joe Haverlock. I'm the worship pastor at Killarn, the Killarn campus, and just want to invite each of you to come close as you're gathering in your living rooms, around your, your screens, your computers, your devices. Um, we're going to worship together here in this place. And though we can't physically be together right now, we're excited that we have this opportunity to gather and to use the technology that we have. But at the same time, we miss you. We will miss the, the voices filling this room. We'll miss seeing your faces and your hands raised in worship. We look forward to, to gathering back again uh, one day soon. But I just want to encourage you uh, as we gather around our devices to, to participate as much as you can. So sing. Comment on Facebook, give an encouraging word, and then remember this, that the Spirit of God is not bound by space or by time, but He is with us, He is near to His people, and we draw near to Him as He is the God who first drew us near to Himself. So with that, let's begin our time of worship, let's sing together, let's worship the Lord from wherever you are, and He will be lifted up and glorified.
morning, Four Oaks Church. For those of you who don't know me, I'm Paul Gilbert. I'm the lead pastor at the Killarne Congregation. Thanks to everyone who's tuning in across our east and midtown and Killarne congregations. And, you know, while we are in different places geographically, because of the Holy Spirit, because of his power and indwelling presence in us, we can be together spiritually. And so two, two directions I want to point us towards this morning as we're all gathering together. One, we want to remind ourselves. We want to remind ourselves this morning of who God is, knowing that while we have trouble in this world, God has overcome the world through Jesus Christ. He is king and he is reigning, and we want to remind ourselves of that. We also want to renew ourselves. We want to renew ourselves in song and the word and in prayer together. So Pastor Joe and his team is going to be leading us in song. Pastors Lance and Pastor Josh will be opening up God's word for you along with myself. And we encourage you where you are at home to lift up your prayers right now with us as I commit our time. So wherever you are, just grab someone's hand, your family, your your roommates, whoever you're with. Pray with me as I commit our morning to him. Lord Jesus, um, this is a strange thing that we're doing. We acknowledge that. It's strange because we were meant to be together, to, to come together as your people. But Lord, we pray that in the absence of one another, you will do exceedingly more than we can ever expect or even imagine or ask for, that you would fill us with your Holy Spirit today. You would unite our hearts to you and to one another. Lord, we commit this service to you, every aspect of it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Speak to us through his word. Let's let his scripture wash over our souls. And As we read, feel free to read along with me. The, the verses will be at the bottom of the screen. Let's read together from Psalm 40. I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined to me and heard my cry. He drew me up from the pit of destruction, out of the miry bog, and set my feet upon a rock, making my steps secure. He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. Blessed is the man who makes the Lord his trust, who does not turn to the proud, to those who go astray after a lie. You have multiplied, O Lord my God, your wondrous deeds and your thoughts towards us. None can compare with you. And I will proclaim and tell of them, and yet they are more than can be told. Sing to me.
Let's make this song our confession and stop and pause to pray for a moment. God, in the midst of a world that is spiraling, when there are a lot of questions and less answers, when we feel small, we thank you that you are great. You're sturdy, you're steadfast. You've never let us down. And so I pray that in unique circumstances, in odd moments like this, that you would allow our refrain to not be forced. You'd pull a veil from our eyes, you'd unstop our ears, you'd soften our hearts that with all of our beings that we would find solace in your greatness. So help us. I pray that you would be present, that you would somehow, in a way that only you can, would you by means of mercy, connect us, build the body of Christ. Would your kingdom come more fully, more beautifully in the midst of a time when we are doing everything opposite of our instinct? We want to gather, we want to be together. We're apart, but this is a small thing to you because you are great. We pray these things in Jesus' name, and we ask for your help today. Amen. Uh, so if we haven't met, uh, my name is Lance. I am a part of the Midtown, Four Oaks Midtown Congregation. I pastor there, which is a privilege and a joy. And I am going to spend a couple of minutes this morning thinking about our message, about what we can say at a time like this. And it turns out that we're in, in good shape. Um, we have things to say, not because we've just discovered them or thought about them, The task that we have before us is to just keep saying what we always say. Christians, I believe, are uniquely positioned for this particular moment. Though I must say, I'm nervous. Uh, This is an odd circumstance. I don't know exactly uh, how to act or where to look. I had thoughts yesterday and today of being that person who's on the news broadcast and keeps turning the wrong way to to the wrong camera, and then people have to readjust me. I'm not accustomed to things like this. It sounds odd, I know maybe it doesn't sound odd to you because many of you are nervous about public speaking. Frankly, it would be so much better if you were here. I had to call back to what people say to do when you're nervous in public speaking. They actually say things like, you should imagine everyone in their underwear. The difficulty here is that so many of you are actually in your underwear, that that doesn't work for a feed like this. It doesn't help us necessarily. So I'm just going to press on. And I'm trusting that somewhere between God and me and you and the Spirit in our midst that He's working through the interwebs, and we're going to think about the message that we have. What should we say at a time like this? I'm going to begin reading something that Scripture has to say to us from 2 Corinthians chapter 4, starting in verse 7. And what we're going to find is, is that all we must do in moments like this is continue to plod on with what we've already been saying. This is the seventh verse of 2 Corinthians chapter 4. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus 
so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So, death is at work in us, but life in you. Since we have the same spirit of faith, according to what has been written, I believed and so I spoke, we also believe and so we also speak, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. For it is all for your sake, so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. If you consider a passage like this, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, written by the Apostle Paul, facing very different challenges. He knew nothing of COVID. He was not an epidemiologist. He didn't know all of our problems, all the complexity of the worries of our day, and yet we find it timely. Why? It's timely because it's what Christians have been rehearsing and mastering forever. It's what we always say. We consider death because it's the only way to life. We count ourselves weak, broken, small, insecure, so that we could place our trust in God who is big, faithful, strong, a refuge, a strength. We've been practicing for days like this the entirety of the history of the Christian faith. It reminds me of King David. This is prior to him being king, but you know the story well, and I just want to point out a little fact that I think gets at the idea of practice. We should have been about these things. As David runs with, you know, the story that Goliath is mocking everyone and he's beating everyone and he seems impossible. And David is just a little shepherd boy, goes to bring some lunch and he says, what's going on here? And then he says, oh, I can beat him. I'll fight him. I'll go do that. And everyone says, yeah, right. Who are you? What do you have to do with this situation? And then David says something unique. This is what he says. Essentially, he says this. I've been practicing for this my whole life. Now, he doesn't say it in those terms, but he says something like this. You know that I'm a shepherd. Well, when I'm out there on the side of the hill, I have to kill lions. I kill bears. I'm constantly facing enemies and the threat of death, and I win. So a moment came, and David said, I've been doing this my whole life. I'm not going to change, though the circumstances have changed. I'm not changing anything. I'm just going to do what I've always done. He, he, he kills, which is interesting. Now, none of us are called, and don't worry, this isn't a moral message about be David and this is our Goliath. But the principle, I think, there, the idea that David just said, why would I change now? I'm just going to do what I know to do. 
In the same way, Christians, if you're wondering, what do we say to our neighbors? What do we say to my kids? What do we say to one another? Well, we just keep saying what we've always said. The hope is is that if anything, the Christian life has prepared us to deal with the uncertainty of this life, with the need for certainty concerning the next life, that we have, as 2 Corinthians 4 mentions, that we have always in our bodies the death of Jesus, that we are realizing that death is at work in us so that others would find life. We just keep saying what we've been saying. In a few minutes, we're going to rehearse something that we did just a few short weeks ago. We held an Ash Wednesday service, and for the second consecutive year, we prayed through together Psalm 90 as a church. Why do we do that? Because it prepares us to consider moments of uncertainty and death, and we recognize our weakness. So Christians, we have been uniquely prepared for moments like this. It's what we say. And as everything around us falls apart, we have a timely message. We can look at one another. We can look at coworkers. We can look at skeptics, people who are desiring to feel more secure. And we can answer their questions. We might look at our friends and say, do you feel as though the world is hurtling toward a tragic end? It is. We've got a message for that. Do you feel as though your life right now is more fragile than you ever dared to hope it would be? It is. And we've got a message for that. Do you wonder if all of the structures of this world, government and otherwise, are not secure enough to hold you? They aren't. And we've got a message for that. We can say to our friends, to our loved ones, when all of your work and social interaction was taken away, are you tempted to wonder if you really belong, if you're wanted? You are. We've got a message for that. Do you wonder if there's any hope in a world where everything seems like it's turned upside down? When microbes that we cannot see attack us, is there hope? There is. We've got a message for that. Do you wonder what might happen to you if you caught this virus? And things were so overrun that the unthinkable happened, there was no respirators, and you had to begin to contemplate eternity. Do you wonder what might happen if that was the case? You should. And we've got a message for that. Christians, for those of us who have reckoned ourselves dead in Christ, for those of us who understand the frailty of this world, for those of us who race to get low, this is our moment. This is our time. This is the coach calling us from the end of the bench. This is David going to the battlefield. It's too sad for me to sing one shining moment. The tournament was canceled. It might also not only be too sad, but too cheesy. But you get the point. If we keep saying what we always should have been saying, then this is our time. To help reinforce that, I want to do what we always ought to be doing. Just like we did a few weeks ago and have in years past, I'm going to pray through Psalm 90. There are a number of sections to this psalm, 17 short verses, but the first couple of verses are basically adoration, acknowledging who God is. It's how great thou art in poetry form rather than singing form. Then there's a whole section in the middle of the admission of our situation. So there's adoration and an admission and then finally, petition. And I'm going to read through this psalm slowly. And if you have it 
there with you. I encourage you to be reading this and thinking in a spirit of prayer. I'm going to read it, leave a moment to pause for reflection, and then I'll pray for us on these themes. This is Psalm 90, starting in the first verse. Let this be our rehearsal of the message for the moment. Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. Father, we take time to adore you. When everything changes, when things that used to be up are down, things that are keeping us down are in front of us. You are God. You are from everlasting to everlasting. You saw this day coming. You're here now. You will be in the future. Nothing can stop you nor your kingdom. We confess these things. It settles us. We have no identity apart from the fact that you are our dwelling place. Help us to believe these things. The psalm continues in the third verse down through the 11th with an admission of just how bad things are. Psalm 90, verse 3, you return man to dust and say, return, O children of man, for a thousand years in your sight are but as yesterday when it is past, or as a watch in the night. You sweep them away as with a flood. They are like a dream, like grass that is renewed in the morning. In the morning it flourishes and is renewed. In the evening it fades and withers. For we are brought to an end by your anger. By your wrath we are dismayed. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. All our days pass away under your wrath. We bring our years to an end like a sigh. The years of our life are 70, or even by reason of strength, 80, yet their span is but toil and trouble. They are soon gone, and we fly away. Who considers the power of your anger and your wrath according to the fear of you? God, we confess that in this life we have found toil and trouble. What once seemed sure, secure, has been unmasked. We are not forever. We live in a fallen world, impacted in every way, by sin. And we feel this situation. We know that at best, when we get through this toil and trouble, there will be more to come. Our days will come to an end like a sigh. We come to you not in strength, nothing impressive about us. We confess our our weakness. 
In verse 12, Psalm 90 instructs us after we have adored God for who He is and admitted the severity of our situation, He dares because God is good and He is for us and He is with us. He dares to ask for wisdom. He says in verse 12, so teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. He prays not only for wisdom, but for this all to become a thing in the past. Verse 13, return, O Lord, how long? Have pity on your servants. Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us and for as many years as we have seen evil. Let your work be shown to your servants and your glorious power to their children. Let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us and establish the work of our hands upon us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. God, we ask that you would instill in us faith-driven, sturdy hope. We admit the severity of the situation, but you've taught us by grace and by power and by might and by mercy, you've taught us to be audacious, to ask you to give us things. God, we pray that in the days that you've given us, we cry with Moses, teach us to number our days. They are but few, so help us to number them well. We cry with Moses, how long? God, give mercy and be present here with us. We ask for this to pass. We pray for those who are being most afflicted. Medical staff who have been overrun and exhausted and fearful. People fighting for breath. How long, O Lord? Have pity. For those without work, those in family situations where fear has gripped their relationships and their conversations, God, have pity. And we ask that you would satisfy us again with your steadfast love. We pray that in the midst of something like this, when we stay true to our, our message, when we know who you are, that we would rejoice and be glad in you. And we look to a future, an eternal future with you, that you would establish us and make us secure, that one day you would make permanent the hope that has been stirring and longing in our hearts. So God, teach us, give us wisdom, help us to pray. Help us to trust in you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.
to turn in your Bibles to the New Testament book of First Peter. My name is Josh, and I get to serve uh, the Four Oaks East congregation. Let's hear the word of the Lord from First Peter chapter 4, verses 7 through 11. The Apostle Peter writes to the elect exiles of the dispersion, and he says these words, The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God. 
Whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. This is God's word. He has condescended to communicate himself to us in his word because he loves us. Amen. When I was uh, 18 years old, I broke my leg playing basketball. Uh, that was many years ago. It was many hairs ago. That was back in my basketball playing days. I'm retired now. And in the weeks that followed uh, that experience, I had to uh, spend a lot of time getting around on crutches. And I learned something about myself during that season when I was on crutches. I had spent 18 years of my life taking the ability to walk for granted. Uh, suddenly, getting up to get a glass of water, moving an item from one part of the room to the next, uh, getting up in the middle of the night to attend to other matters of personal comfort, um, things that at one time were easy and assumed suddenly weren't anymore. And I was reminded of that experience this week. Lots of things that we have taken for granted have been taken away from us. Our sense of safety and control has been Shaken, Many of our routines have been interrupted. Spring break plans have been thwarted. Freedoms have been limited. Financial security has been threatened. And on top of all of this, we can't gather on the Lord's Day as the church. We can't walk in one of the, one of the main practices that's marked us out as the people of God for millennia. Things that we took for granted weeks ago are gone and Things that would have been unthinkable to us even just a few short weeks ago are our new reality. And all of this is a bit disorienting and difficult, to say the least, and rightly so. And so one of the questions I've been thinking about and pondering this week and praying through is, what do we do with our disorientation? What might God want to do in us and through us in this season where the world is shaky and things don't make sense like they used to. These days of uncertainty, I believe, present us with some opportunities as God's people. And I want to just talk very briefly about three opportunities that we have in these days. The first is this. We have an opportunity to live confidently in light of what we know. We have an opportunity to live confidently in light of what we know. Peter says the end of all things is at hand. And it would be wrong to, to think of Peter as like one of these preachers who's been hunkered down with his end times charts and has, has uh, deciphered the book of Revelation and now knows the exact moment and exact date when the apocalypse is going to happen. That's not what he's getting at here. We know that Peter was a close companion and a disciple of Jesus Christ. He was a witness to the resurrected Jesus. Peter was there at the mountain in Galilee when Jesus gave the great commission and then ascended into heaven. And Peter understood that that event, Jesus' ascension, was the inauguration of this final epic, the final stage of redemptive history, what the writer of Hebrews will call these last days. Peter wants his readers and us to remember that we're living now in the final chapter of the grand story that God is writing. And that chapter is one day, on a day that we don't know, that we don't expect, it's going to culminate when Christ returns in glory to bring the restoration of all things and the new heaven and the new earth. And he reminds his readers of this reality not to incite anxiety in them, but to invite confidence in God. 
He says the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Peter's saying what you know should inform the way that you live. See, because we know where history is headed, we don't panic, even in the pandemic. We make preparations, yes. We make changes to our behaviors out of love, yes. But we don't panic. You may have seen a quote from C.S. Lewis that's been making its way around uh, the Internet over the last couple of weeks. It's from his essay on living in an atomic age. Right? He writes in the, in the middle of the 20th century when uh, the world was living sort of under threat of the atomic bomb. And he comments on this and he says, Do not let us begin by exaggerating the novelty of the situation. Essentially, he says, yes, we're vulnerable, but we've always been vulnerable. Whether it's bomb or sickness or a car crash, we've always been as vulnerable as we feel right now. But then he goes on to say this. If we are all going to be destroyed by an atomic bomb, let that bomb, when it comes, find us doing sensible and human things. Praying, working, teaching, reading, listening to music, bathing the children, playing tennis, chatting to our friends over a pint and a game of darts, not huddled together like frightened sheep and thinking about bombs. They may break our bodies. A microbe can do that. But they need not dominate our minds. COVID-19 is an opportunity for God's people to look to God's promise when the world is shaking. It's an opportunity for us to remember what we know to be true. There is comfort and confidence in God's word and in God's presence that you will not find anywhere else. And if I can just say, you especially won't find them on the internet, right? It might be wise for you uh, in these days to set some limits on the news that you're consuming or the social media that you're tracking. My wife Katie and I found ourselves saying to one another over and over again these last couple weeks, you know what we need right now? We need to get away from our phones for a bit. You can be informed about the world without constantly scrolling Twitter and refreshing your news site of choice. Instead, let's pursue confidence in what we know to be true. We know who God is. We know what God has promised. We know what he's doing in the world and where all of history is going. And so in these days of uncertainty, we have an opportunity to live in light of what we know. We can cultivate hearts at rest as we look to God's promises, reading and meditating on his word and drawing near to him in prayer. We also have an opportunity to love one another well. That's the second opportunity we have, to love one another well. Peter says, since the end of all things is at hand, he calls on Christians to keep loving one another earnestly. That word earnestly also means Constantly, You could translate that phrase, keep love constant. And in these days when we are limited, more so than perhaps we ever have been, at least in our lifetimes, in our capacity to gather, I just want to encourage us, what an opportunity this is for us to look for creative ways to keep love constant. What are some creative ways we can press into that? You know, the uh, technology cannot replace what happens when we gather as God's people for Lord's Day worship or when we gather in our community groups. But there are some ways that we can leverage the technology that we have to keep love constant. Things like FaceTime, Zoom calls, Skype, texting, even like what was cutting-edge technology generations ago, handwritten cards and letters. We have ways that we can seek to love one another and be creative in pursuing that. 
You know, there's always an impulse for us as human beings to withdraw and to turn inward in times of suffering, in times of anxiety, and in times of uncertainty. That's why there's a run on things like toilet paper and hand sanitizer. There's some here that I pondered just for a moment stealing and taking home. (laughs) I'm not going to do that, though. Paul told me he counted all of the hand sanitizer bottles, and he's going to check us when we leave. But as Christians, we can resist the urge to, to turn inward in these moments. We don't, we don't need to hoard resources. We don't need to escape to, to Netflix. We don't need to distract ourselves constantly in an effort to manage our anxiety. As we are taking care to look to God and to His Word, we can also look for ways that we can love and serve one another well with our prayers, with our support, with our attention, with our service, with our resources and the gifts that God has given us as stewards, as Peter says in verse 10. And with whatever presence we can wisely and safely offer to one another in these days. You know, Jesus said, the badge that will mark us out as his disciples, the characteristic that the world will see in us, that they'll find compelling, is the love that we have for one another. And so let's be creative and diligent as we seek to keep love constant, even in and especially in these days of social distancing. And a third and final opportunity I want to point out is this. We have an opportunity for the cultivation of our longings. The end of all things is at hand. That's actually a promise that we hold on to. It means that the king is coming soon, and he is coming with restoration. He's coming with healing. He's coming with wholeness. And the coming of the king is something that we're meant to long for as Christians, especially when we find ourselves in the midst of a world that is broken and shaken. I saw a study recently that compared the most commonly sung congregational songs in U.S. churches since the year 2000 with the most commonly sung congregational songs that were sung in churches uh, in, the, in the 18th century. And one of the biggest differences between those two groups of songs is, is this. We don't sing about Christ's second coming nearly as much as we used to. And I think that's to our detriment. These days present an opportunity for us to remember that as comfortable as we may be at times, as good and as wonderful as the blessings of life in this world can be, our hope is not here. There's an opportunity for us to recover the prayer that closes the book of Revelation. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. We have the opportunity to cultivate our longing for the mended world, a place where evil is extinguished, where our hurts are healed, and we aren't vulnerable to viruses any longer. That's the world that we're made for. And it's the world that's coming when the King returns. So we can cultivate our longing for the world to come, but we can also cultivate our longing for the richness of the blessings that God has given in this life as well. Maybe this morning you're feeling the sting of not being able to gather with God's people. I just want you to know that I'm feeling it too. It feels a little bit like having a broken leg and having to get around on crutches. I hadn't recently pondered the prospect of not being able to gather with God's people on the Lord's day. I've been thinking, I was thinking last night about all the things that I, I'm missing today and I'm going to miss next week and for however long this is going to last. I don't get to hug that 
brother who has been brought low by his sin and who's walking a difficult road of repentance and obedience. I don't get to see that sister who is walking through unimaginable pain and grief and loss, but who every week sings with her hands lifted in stubborn confidence in the promise of God. I don't get to hear the beautiful sound of the saints' voices singing behind me as I stand on the front row. I don't get to look into the eyes of people that I've been praying for all week as I study to preach God's word. And the loss of those things, it hurts. But I want to ask this question. What if a season of abstaining from the gift of gathering as as God's people was a means by which God brought about a work of renewal in our midst? You know, abstaining from certain gifts for a season has long been a part of how God's people have cultivated a hunger for more of God's presence. This is what fasting is, right? When we fast, we set aside certain gifts from God, and we do that for a purpose. When we feel the pangs of hunger, they remind us that our ultimate desire is for the giver, not for the gift itself. And those hunger pangs teach us to long for a renewed experience of the giver through the gift when the gift is restored to us. And what if, what if in these days we cultivated a longing for God's presence in our gatherings when we can't meet? Let's think about what David says in Psalm 42. I think he, he gives us a clue as to what this might feel like for us if we were to really press into that. In Psalm 42, it's a psalm of lament, and David says, beginning in verse 1, As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night, while they say to me all the day long, Where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul. And what does he remember? How I would go with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude keeping festival. Why are you downcast, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise Him, my salvation and my God. It seems like in this season of David's suffering and his uncertainty. He is unable to gather with God's people and his heart breaks as he remembers drinking deeply from God's presence and worship, as he remembers being surrounded by the saints, singing for joy and giving thanks to God together in festival celebration. He feels the loss of it and he longs for the restoration of it. And so, brothers and sisters, what if this time of not gathering for however long it lasts, is God's portion that's meant to awaken this kind of longing in us. What what kind of a grace would it be if the first Sunday we are able to gather again, we're filled with a deep sense of gratitude to God, a deep spirit of anticipation? What if when our gatherings resume, they're characterized by an outpouring of renewal and response as a result of these days where we're abstaining? What if our neighbors saw our confidence in God's Word? What if they saw our love for one another? And what if they saw our deep joy in gathering as God's people and they were compelled irresistibly to join in and to come with us? You know, when my broken leg finally healed and I finally was able to cast off 
the crutches. It felt like being released from some sort of prison. I could walk again, and the world started to make sense again. And I've tried ever since that day, by God's grace, to never again take the ability to walk for granted. And so I've, I've started praying over these last couple of days that that's the sort of experience that we would have in these days of our uncertainty. Hope in God, brothers and sisters, for we shall again praise him together. Let's pray. Lord, we do need you. We acknowledge that our hearts find no rest until they take rest in you. Lord, there are disciplines that you've given us to walk in as your people that are so critical for our formation. They're so critical for our endurance in the faith. And in this season, it seems in your wisdom and in your goodness, one of those gifts, the gifts of gathering with your people, is going to be withheld from us. And we pray that you would use that to stir in us a deeper longing for you a deeper longing for the world that you have promised, a deeper longing for the world to come, and a deeper longing for the day when we can gather again. Our hope is in your faithfulness. It is in your goodness. We believe we shall again praise you together as your people. So strengthen us, draw near to us, comfort us with your promises, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.
I want to punctuate our time this morning as we sort of come down the home stretch here by giving us a word from Philippians chapter 1. And this is what the Apostle Paul writes. He says, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Now, what day was it for you when you realized that things were no longer going to be business as usual, that life was going to be radically shifted from our normal rhythms and patterns? Now, we know some of you have had your ear to the ground for three months And you've been stockpiling your toilet paper and your weapons. But but for the rest of us, or at least for me, um, that reality did not sort of dawn on me until probably even this morning just walking in here and, and looking at an empty auditorium. But I have to wonder, as Paul's writing this, when it dawned on him that business was no longer going to go on as usual. That, that life in ministry, as Paul knew it, was essentially radically shifted. Remember, Paul had just completed three missionary journeys. He had big plans for a fourth. He was going to go to Rome. He was going to go to Spain. This was going to be the magnus opus of his life in ministry. But instead, he's come to Rome by a way he never imagined. He now finds himself 
in prison. And I don't know what it was like for Paul during that initial period where he's trying to figure things out. Maybe he feels like he felt like we do right now, disheartened or dismayed or discouraged or maybe even disoriented. But by the time Paul is writing this, he is crystal clear about what God wants to do in his life through his time, even in that cell for this season. In verse 12, Paul references, makes this reference to what has happened to him, has actually served to advance the gospel. Now, what has happened to Paul, of course, is not merely his imprisonment. It's also the series of events that have brought him to this point. Remember, it began in Jerusalem, and he was falsely accused, and there was a riot, and he was arrested, and he was confined in house arrest for two years. Then they shipped him off in a, um, on a journey to Rome, and there was a shipwreck, and he almost died. And now here he is in Rome again, a prisoner in chains for an indefinite amount of time. But yet here he tells us all of this has happened, he says, to serve the advance of the gospel. Now let's be honest, when we think about where we are today and what has happened to us, we naturally think about things in terms of how they've impacted us personally, don't we? We think about things financially. We think about our plans, the trips, the dreams that we had. We think about our health. We, our mind goes a million different ways, but not Paul. Paul says what has happened has actually served to advance the gospel. And Four Oaks, by God's grace, my prayer is that we will look back on this season, whether it's weeks or months or years from now, And we will be able to say the same, that what has happened to us has served to advance the good news of Jesus. And I just want to mention two things really quickly that Paul mentions that happened as a result of his imprisonment. Look back at the text. It says, the first is that it has become known to everyone that I am imprisoned for Christ. Now we have to ask, here's Paul in this prison. How is it that it's become known to everyone, in fact, to the whole Roman centurion praetorium guard and people in Caesar's household. How, how, how has this happened? And it's not complicated. It's not revolutionary, but it's something very simple that we often forget. The reason they knew why Paul was there was because he told them. See, Paul always had a soldier chained to his wrist. There was always centurion standing guard at the door. They were this captive audience as people came in and out of the prison to visit with Paul and talk with Paul, and they got to overhear his conversations and his visits. We can imagine the sort of conversations Paul is having with that Roman centurion who's, who's chained to his wrist or his ankle day and night. See, Paul knew that even though he was confined in that cell, he had been given an opportunity. That he wasn't imprisoned just to be imprisoned. He was imprisoned for a purpose. And if we are going to have a similar mindset for Oaks, we need to understand that the crisis that we find upon us is a divine crisis. You know, it's been said that crisis brings clarity. And crisis always points 
people towards something that they otherwise wouldn't seek. And let God open our eyes. Help us get beyond ourselves and how this particular circumstance is impacting our world and our time and our families and our homes and our jobs and our finances, as important as all of those are, that God has a bigger design. The second thing that it says happens in this text, it says that others saw Paul's example and they too became very bold to proclaim the same good news without fear. I remember growing up in the 70s and, and the big feat was always who is brave enough to go off the high dive. Kids, if you have no idea what I'm talking about, ask your parents. Who's brave enough to go off the high dive? I can go off the low dive, but who can go off the high dive? And all it took was that one person who was more brave than the rest of us to go first. And we knew, you know what? You can survive this jump. It's, it's high, but it's, it's possible someone is showing us the way. And the same thing here. Paul because of his boldness, is showing the way to the brothers. And if Paul in chains could do this, you could hear them saying, if he can count his life as nothing, then why not us? Folks, we have a captive audience all around us, literally, don't we? We have people we're passing by in our neighborhoods as we're out walking. There's neighbors just across the way who are out in their yards. We have our online communities. And and something unites almost everyone during this season. People are dazed. They're confused. They're looking for their bearings. And we have an opportunity as the people of God to speak a better word. The way we live. The way we talk. What we prioritize. How we serve. How we are generous. We remember when Jesus looked at the disciples and said, do you too want to abandon me? And what did Simon Peter says, where would we go, Lord? You have the words of eternal life. Four Oaks, by the grace of God, we have the words of eternal life. May we understand that what has happened to us is in part done so that we can, like Paul, like the brothers, serve to advance the gospel in everything that we do. Let's continue to worship together. I am safe on this.
works before we sign off today. I just want to mention three things very quickly. Number one, we want to encourage you to go deeper into God's word in this season and in a way to sort of help you stay tethered to the word of God. We're giving everyone across all three congregations a free 60-day subscription to the audio Bible app called Dwell. It's excellent to use in your personal quiet times or with your family or while you're exercising. And so we're going to send out an email later today with instructions for how you can download that and uh, subscribe. And again, that's free for these first 60 days and use it um, to stay tethered to the word of God. Number two um, relates to giving. You can continue to give this season electronically. Many of you already do so. It's a great time to make the transition over if you don't. And so we've made some changes um, to, our, to our online giving process to make it easier. There's just one number, 84321. You put in the dollar amount. It, it takes you to where you need to go, um, easy as can be. We also know that in this season, there are going to be a lot of financial needs in uh, the life of our church. And we want to be connected to those to know about those. And so please talk to your congregational elders and pastors about how we can come alongside of you financially in this season. And lastly, relates to worship. We thank you so much for joining us here. Um, From here on, we're going to be doing individual online worship times for each congregation. And that's going to look a little differently for each congregation. We will send out communiques this week to let you know what that will look like. We had a couple of uh, little technical glitches this morning to work through, but we're going to continue to to iron those out. But we hope this season is not long, but for as long as it is, we're going to do everything we can to gather virtually to worship, to stay connected. With those words, let me give you this benediction and we're going to go from here. It says, for we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. But that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. For us, go in the hope of that today, that we trust in a living God who is sovereign and who is reigning. Go in peace and have a great Lord's Day.